Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome back to the Football Insomnia podcast. My name is Colin Watt and I'm your host and I'm absolutely delighted today to bring you a very special guest. He is the Chief Operating Officer of Bohemians Football Club in Ireland, Daniel Lambert. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Cheers, Colin. Good, yeah. Yeah, as, as good as can be. We're in lockdown here in Dublin, so uh, working from home. And, and talk me through the, the shirt. This is a Bohemian shirt, yeah? Yeah, yeah. This is our, this is our away shirt from, uh, from 2020. So uh, we worked with... Amnesty International. We put the uh, refugees welcome and love football, hate racism on the back. So, Fantastic. Uh, yeah, and that's obviously a staple of Bohemians Football Club themselves. It's something that you're very proud of, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. We do a lot. We do a lot of work with people from from non-Irish backgrounds. You do a lot of work with you know people from yeah people who are uh, 
at risk of loneliness, older people, with homeless people, people in prison. And we try to do a lot of work in the local area here in Dublin. And uh, we do, we've become really heavily involved with a group called Massey, who uh, they represent asylum seekers. And um, there'd be a lot of people from non-Irish backgrounds, you know, in Dublin and in the part of the city we're in. So we try and uh, make it a welcoming place for them and encourage them to get involved in the club. It's a fantastic initiative and something that we will cover later on when we uh, discuss in more detail about Bohemians. Um, If you are joining us today, we are live on YouTube, on Twitter and on Facebook. If you're on YouTube, give us a like, leave a comment. Um, If you've got any questions for Daniel, leave them in the comment section and we'll bring it up later on in the show. Uh, But we take a look at Frank Lampard and that was 12 months um, in charge of Derby County. Takes them up to the, the playoffs, very close to um, getting promotion into the Premiership, uh, and then the job at Chelsea comes along. Now he was almost had his high, his hands tied behind his back at first um, with the transfer embargo, but since then he spent over two hundred million pound this summer. Chelsea are sitting towards mid-table in the Premiership, and you can see that there was no sense of sentimentality there, and they just um, they decided to cut cords. Now, obviously, it's a difficult decision to make, especially for someone that was a club legend. But I'm just going to bring up this comment here from Gordon Coney. He says, Lampard would be a profile appointment and that's not what we need. So I think he's talking about Celtic here. Um, we need a coach that can develop young players and rejuvenate the more experienced players. Now, speaking about that with Frank Lampard as well, he did seem to bring on the development of a couple of young players, um, more specifically Mason Mount and Billy Gilmore. Um, two young talents who really, Mason Mount was given his opportunity at Derby County. Billy Gilmore made the move from Rangers to Chelsea um, and now seems to be one of the hot talents down there. But just before we, we were speaking about that, Daniel, we were saying about the sense of sentimentality about um, letting Frank leave the club. Would that be a difficult decision for yourself if there was a Bohemian legend that was in charge and things just weren't going to plan? Yeah, no, I think it would be a difficult decision for anybody. I think a lot of it is around how you how you position and how as a club, like what, you know, results are, are one part that's that's really important, obviously, to a club, but just building this culture and, and a system where everybody feels like they're buying into something, that it's not just uh, ultimately about the results on the pitch. There's a combination of things happening, whether that's growth in terms of youth players, like you mentioned, growth as a club, the atmosphere and the ethos that somebody's creating. And I think that you get a sense of that. Um, and, you, you know, with, with a manager... When you're involved, you know, at a club, aside from just being a fan, you get a sense of all of these things maybe happening and that things are, once they're on the right trajectory, you know, things are moving forward as a whole. So I think you're kind of looking at all those things and balancing them up. But I I do think, like I said, I don't think people are given enough time at all. uh, And it seems to just be an easy option for for owners and, 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 you know, the hierarchy at a club to say, right, let's switch the manager rather than look at maybe the conditions that the manager operates in and making sure that he has all the support that he needs. And when you take a look at it, he's now been replaced by Thomas Tuchel, who is the former Borussia Dortmund and PSG manager. He's actually got 13 years managerial experience. Is that the thing that clubs are now looking for? Is the, the risk on going for a high-profile name now being sort of pushed to the side and they're looking for experience? We see guys like Sam Allardyce coming back into the game at West Brom, and there's been a lot of calls down south for young managers to be given a chance. But when it comes to it, is it the experience or is it the big name profile that a team would be looking for when they're making their next appointment? 
I think look in the UK it may be different for us and in Ireland I think what you're trying to find ultimately those two things come into play but it's a fit does this person fit what you're trying to do as a club and you know for for us and and I think you know as a club when we were looking at managers in the past it wasn't necessarily about um, and we were coming from a place from like our current managers is with us quite a long time now he's 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 just signed a four year deal with us uh, which is fantastic and he came in as a relatively unknown manager um, and we, were, we weren't in a great place financially so look if you've got the finances to bring in somebody with a proven track record fantastic if you don't you've got to sometimes go for somebody a little bit younger but ultimately I think it's it's the fit it's if they fit the ethos and the values and they fit what you're what you're about as a club aside from saying they can win games because every manager is going to want to win games but do they get what the club is about and are they willing to buy into that and embody that and drive that forward I think that's that's what's important uh, to me that's, that's what should be most important yeah, and we've definitely got some uh, Bohemians fans in at the minute. We've got Cormac Ryan here saying, hopefully Keith Long goes nowhere soon. And I think he just confirmed that he's got a four-year deal, so he's be going nowhere. Um, and also he comes in to say, Bohemians, a club with a proper youth development policy. Big questions raised about Celtic's youth setup. Um, so speak a bit more about the, the youth development. Is that a big part of the ethos there? Is that something that when you're looking to bring in a manager, you're hoping that he's the person that can develop the players and ultimately sell them on. I mean, there was some big moves from Bohemians there um, in the last few months. Andre Wright moving to Air United, Daniel Grant off to Huddersfield. So it's, is that certainly part of something that you're looking at when you're looking at the candidates? Yeah, totally. For us, like I suppose we're in a situation in Ireland where uh, a lot of our, the clubs around us in the league table would, would have private investment. We're, we're a fully members-owned club, so... When, when you've got private investment and you've got that ability to, you know, to basically turn a tap on and off in terms of finances, you can bring in, you can bring in players, you can take players from other clubs, you can pay top salaries, and you know, it's not something that we we can compete on toe to toe. So we got to look to to bring young players through, develop them, and um, and if those players want to progress to the UK and there's a transfer fee, you know, that's part of the model as well. So um, it's something that we focus on. I think last year we had the 15th youngest squad in the whole of Europe. Um, you know, we can, we were in the Europa League, but we did an exception to the young team. I think the average age was about 22. So it's it's definitely a priority for us. But like all young players or young people in any industry, you know, they make mistakes and, and that's to be expected. But you get maximum effort, maximum commitment, and, and they really play for the shirt. And, uh, and more and more are coming through uh, our own youth setup at the club. And it's something that we're, you know, it, it's just, it has to be a priority for us, as I said, because we haven't been in a position over the last number of years to, to bring in, to match maybe what other people could pay in terms of salaries or to or to just, um, you know, use finances as the main tool for recruitment. It's got to be development. Yeah, and you take a look at someone who is a, a kind of big-name ex-player that has went down that route. Um, we take a look at someone like Pep Guardiola, someone that came through the Barca Academy, La Messiah, um, or La Messia, for my Spanish isn't great, uh, but takes the Barca B team into the Barcelona team and you look at some of the players that were brought through there and that's still part of the, the the sort of ethos around Barcelona is bringing through young talent. You see it even now um, with guys like Pudge coming through who is making a big name for himself in the first team, moves on to Bayern Munich, develops young players. Um, he brings players over from teams like Arsenal. You look at someone like Serge Gnabry and how he developed the same with Kingsley Coleman. And then at Manchester City, he's doing the same with guys like Phil Foden. So there is um, ex-players out there that do have the calibre that can go on to do it. But for me, I think they're few and far between. And I just think it's a risk that a lot of teams are taking now um, to sort of bring in a high-profile ex-player over someone who can help them out long-term. We take a look at Wayne Rooney at Derby. 
Nguyen Rooney coming into the place, Philip Koku. Derby are sitting towards the bottom of that league. If they go down this season, they'll probably be in serious trouble. But then it comes out this week that um, Wayne Rooney has been paid £90,000 a week as a salary. Now, surely the, the, the idea being that if you bring in a, a player that's looking to make their name in the game, you wouldn't have to pay them as much as what you would for an experienced manager. But with this situation with Derby County, it just seems extraordinary. Yeah, no, it, it does. And I think like it's funny with someone like Wayne Rooney and where he would have played and the level he's at. And, and to then, you know, you'd wonder, is that a gap if you're playing at that level and then even to into Derby, which would be, you know, a drop from the level that Wayne Rooney played at. Is there is there a mismatch? I suppose it's it's an easy one. It's easy in terms of bringing in a high profile name. You get the instant reaction and you get the positive media coverage. But I think the points you've raised there are very valid. Is, is it just a, a short term kind of solution that ultimately you're, you're not looking at bringing in somebody who perhaps might get... You know, if fans are saying who's that type comment, you got to be able to stand over who the person is in the background and respect what they've done, respect what their plans are, respect their ethos, and feel that they're a fit. So maybe it's the case that you know these appointments are made with kind of a bit of a comfort blanket wrapped in them, where you get the instant recognizability in somebody who's who's everyone knows who they are, but ultimately they don't have the yeah. skill set or they haven't they haven't developed as a manager. And maybe there's a temptation with these bigger players as well that they they don't want to start out down in the conference or start down five or six divisions. They feel because of their profile in the game as a player that you know maybe they should go in at a certain level and maybe that's maybe that's not justified. Yeah, I think that's that's always been the case for I'd say about ninety percent of managers. For a, a lot of ones that go in at a high level, you then see them leaving that club and going down to a sort of lower division. Um, I'm thinking of probably Roy Keane here coming in as Sunderland manager when they were in the Premiership, having to make that step down to Ipswich Town and then. He's been out of the game now for so long. It seems as though clubs are not willing to take the risk on him now because of his performances. Um, Chris Sutton, big name across English football and Scottish football, comes in at Lincoln City, doesn't do well, never gets another manager's job. Uh, Gary Neville as well, away over to Valencia. Now, you'll never see Gary Neville's name linked with a a high-profile job. I think as much as it is the temptations there for teams to go and appoint the big name, hoping to get sponsorship off the back of it the way Derby County have, I think at the end of the day, they still need that experience in there. And if you take a look at, at Rangers this season, or even the last couple of seasons, bringing in a big name like Steven Gerrard, they still do have guys in the background there that have the coaching experience that back up the appointment. So it's, it's got to be a very um, selective process you go through to do something like that. Would you be tempted if someone like um, Wayne Rooney or David Beckham or Gary Neville says that they put the, the application in for the Bohemian job. Is that something you would consider? Uh, it wouldn't be just to me. It would be, it'd be to, to our board. <laughs> uh, it, like, to, honestly, the way I'd see it would be no, that wouldn't be the style that we'd go for. I think, like like we've said a few times now, we're about the values and the ethos and, and a fit. And I think that, you know, quick fixes on big names, I I, I don't think, it's not something that, that to me personally would, would kind of, you know, get me excited. I think that, that like you said there, very often you get the, you get the big, big reaction and the big bit of coverage and then it crashes. I think I'd rather go for a safe pair of hands, somebody who, who, who buys into something long term. I do think a lot of these appointments too from players, like when you read about, and, and it's obvious, but I've read quite a bit on what happens to players at the end of their career, especially the higher profile players where you have this adulation and fame and, and fortune all coming in, in just in an intense period of your life, you know, from your kind of late teens to your early 30s. And that ends. And I think a lot of this, these appointments are where they tend to go or whether it was Keane or Rooney that there's this, just this big gap that's probably difficult to understand unless you've been there and you don't feel you'll fulfill that at a, at a lower club, which, which may be the better option, a lower league club in terms of developing this part of your career. 
But the temptation is to try and go in big, keep some of that kind of excitement and that kind of, you know, high profile, high octane kind of existence. But ultimately that doesn't, doesn't tie over between the player and to the manager. So I think that the, yeah. the temptation is probably as much on the player's side to, to, to do that and keep those things uh, as anywhere else. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting topic. But for us now, I, I tend to look at uh, what somebody was about and what they're, what they're, you know, them as a person kind of in a room chatting through their plans rather than what they've done publicly. So what we can say here is we've written off um, Frank and his uncle Harry appearing um, in Dublin anytime soon. Um, but it will be interesting to see where the next step in his career is. I have a feeling he'd probably have to drop down, um, probably either to the championship or maybe top end of League One, rebuild his reputation and come back from that. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that is uh, a good football grounding in management. Some players have to go through it when they're coming through. A lot of players go out on loan to lower league clubs and then make their breakthrough. I think that's going to be the case with management as well. And I think um, certainly there's a chance that he could go on to be a fantastic coach, but he'll have to learn from his mistakes at Chelsea and rebuild again. Yeah, yeah, no, I'd agree with that totally. And look, it, it should make the person, as you said, sometimes you drop from where you were and it can, it can add to, you see, like loads of players have done this and it can make them hungrier, can, they can learn from it. They can just build mental resilience. And I think that, you know, these are all things that managers need to have in spades. Yeah, definitely. So an interesting topic this week um, in terms of management. Obviously, Chelsea taking the, the non-sentimentality approach. Other teams across the UK sticking with their managers, maybe through a sense of sentimentality. Leave your comments and let me know if that's what you believe as well. Delighted today to be joined by Bohemian's Chief Operating Officer, Daniel Lambert. We are live on YouTube, Facebook and Periscope. If you're a Bohemians fan, drop us a question and we'll ask Daniel ahead of the new season. Um, a lot coming up, but we are going on to our next topic, which is something that I ask anybody I got on as a guest, Daniel. And this always brings up some interesting talking points. Um, it is the Dream Football Dinner Party. Now, I mean, Football Dinner Party is probably quite a a high-end term. What would you call a gathering over in Dublin? What's that called? In, in Scotland, it's called an empty. What is it called in Dublin? I would just, just say a few pints, really, even if it was dinner. There'd probably be more alcohol than food. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> So the, the idea of this, uh, for anyone that's watching for the first time, um, basically the idea is Daniel is going to have four... Um, people from the world of football, dead or alive, because for 24 hours only, we've managed to bring them back to life. It was a fantastic feat of achievement, but just like Cinderella, when the clock strikes 12, that's it, it's done. Um, and they're coming over to your house, Daniel. First of all, what would be um, what would be on the table? What would you cook for them? Or is it just strictly pints? I don't know, we'd have to, we'd have, to have something. But I'd probably make, I've, got, I've gotten uh, into the last four or five uh, Four or five months, I've gotten big into during lockdown cooking tagines, which sounds very, very. I got, a, I got an, a cheap tagine pot, and I started trying to make them. And so it's got lamb and potatoes and apricots and stuff, and you, you keep it in the oven for a couple of hours. So some, uh, some tagine with some bread, and we can just dip into that in the middle of the table. I wonder if this will then line up um, with the guest that you're about to announce that's coming to the Lambert household. So. Who is arriving first? Who's coming here to try the tagine? Who's turning up with a bottle of wine? Who is guest? As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. 
As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. It's number one. Guest number one would probably have more than a bottle of wine with him. Uh, Robin Friday, for me, I just, I just would have loved to meet him, you know. Um, I think his his life story and it's it's tragic and fascinating and just everything the the amount of stories from that man's life, um, you know, and his his goal to game ratio for Reading, but on and off the pitch, it's 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 mad. It's like a you know, I'm sure I'm sure you've come across him or you've read about him, but uh, you yeah. know, it's stunning. So I think like a, for loads of reasons, I just would have loved love to meet him. I'd say it would be as dangerous as it, as it would be entertaining. Anything could happen. And, uh, one of our one of our regular contributors here on a state of mind, um, Kevin Graham, is a massive Robin Friday fan. Um, he, in fact, he is the only other person that I've had on so far that has had Robin Friday at his dinner party. So if if Kevin's commenting, I'm I'm just waiting on it popping up. It's, there's maybe a slight delay there, but it's going to pop up shortly, and he's going to go on about a story about Robin Friday. But no, the the guy, as you say, the on the pitch, off the pitch, just a complete showman, um, and the stories that you would hear would be fantastic. So as you say, he's turning up with maybe just a wee bit more than a bottle of wine, um, but he's the first one through the door. Who would be joining him at the, the part at the table? Sorry. The second one, and there's just a, a local reason for it, it'd be Liam Whelan. Liam Whelan, he died, died of the Munich air disaster, but Liam grew up and lived about five minutes from where I'm sitting now. He, he grew up around the corner and, uh, you know, there's a bridge just beside my house here named after him and uh, he, he would have grew up like you get the floodlights for our stadium literally are above his house and uh you know he died at 22 but his you know he died so young it's hard to know but when you read read about what he'd done he was he was probably going to be one of the best Irish players of all time he would have had a phenomenal career and just uh it just just as a local a local person his his grave and his house and his family his his uh his brother only died last year he used to come to the Bohemians games he used to talk to his brother in the in the stadium and uh just you know, just there's not a lot just because of the time when it was and the interviews. There's not a lot of interviews with him, not a lot of not a lot of coverage. And I just just as as he probably would have been one of the greatest footballers and what and is one of the greatest footballers that ever come from Dublin, but just uh, had such a short career. I think it'd be it'd be great to meet him even just for one night. Now, uh, as you say, it's like players like that, and especially that disaster taken from us um, far too soon, and. Um, I guess, I guess having someone like that at the table, you are looking for a bit of the history from back then as well. Um, obviously, football's changed so much since then, and um, I, I think it would be interesting if they could come back and see the impact that they've had on football um, since that disaster. So, yeah, a really interesting one as your second at the table. Who's third through the Lambert household? Third, I'm sure. Look, you, you must have had this guy a lot of times, and it's it's sort of like one of the obvious ones you'd go for. But just for again, for a lot of like in football, yeah, and for so much that he did outside of football and things that he stood for, it'd be, be Maradona, and uh, you know, like one of two of my favorite football related, and they're only very very loosely football related photographs is the him with the with the stop Bush t shirt on, you know, with the protest of the Iraq War. But probably my favorite, one of my favorite photographs ever is when he's sitting with Fidel Castro. And he's showing Castro his tattoo of Castro in Cuba. <laughs> just, just for that, as, as something that happened is is it's totally mad. And I'd say, uh, again, Maradona might might depending on what stage of life he might have brought more than wine with him as well. But uh, what you know, for every re- reason, every, his whole life like Robin Friday, but you know, less tragic. Um, what what person? 
as you say, Diego Maradona is someone that is probably picked quite often on here. Um, and obviously we had the very tragic news that he passed away last year. But I mean, the, the stories that Diego leaves behind, I mean, it's not just the, the brilliance on the park, it's off the park as well. Um, and he has a massive loss to football. And you said that it depends on what stage in his career that you get him. You can pick that. So you can pick which Diego Maradona turns up to your house. Um, you, you pick his age, just whenever he wants to turn up. Um, but I'm sure we'd all ask him the question about the hand of God and we would sit there and have him tell it a hundred times over, unless you're English. If you're English and you're watching, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, sorry. But finally, who, com- <laughs> who completes the... the- sorry. Yeah, for, for me, the last one, it's probably a classic Irish answer, but uh, but Jack Charlton. And Jack Charlton, like, as a, as a kid growing up here, uh, like, I suppose, like, you look at Ireland, we haven't qualified for many tournaments, you know, and like Jack got the Euro 88, he got to Italia 90 and he got to, you know, 94. He qualified for three major tournaments. We'd never been to a major tournament ever. And Ireland, like, when I, you know, early 90s, I was a kid and, like, I, I remember so much about that, even though I was so young. All the footpaths were painted green, white and orange. Jack became this absolute national hero. You know, everyone got off school. It was just, and we were kind of coming out of, well, Ireland was was a poor country for a long time in the like 70s, 80s, mass emigration. And it was just a sense of, just pride in, in, in Ireland and Jack Jack brought that and I remember like photographs from his first game I think it was in 86 and his first game in Lansdowne Road there was a banner hung out and it said go home Union Jack you know because because of the appointment to somebody that was English and and the way he turned that around and went from you know somebody who who I suppose would have been seen as somewhat of an outsider to absolutely just you know an, an Irish man and and he just brought what he brought to the country is amazing I, I don't think another person in sport will ever ever bring that sense of just change and optimism and and uh you know and obviously things with the north at the time as well there was a lot going on in ireland and he managed to uh just bring people together and uh, he just just a gentleman like just i think what he did like as a player you know he, he obviously didn't reach the heights of his brother and uh you know i don't think he played for england till he was 30 you know and uh but to you know just reading about his life and you know going down to the mines at a young age and then becoming a footballer and and uh, but what he did with Ireland for me, and and just the way he came across, he held himself with such grace, you know, and right until the end of his management career when he was failing to qualify, I think for for um, uh, the Euros in '96. But what a guy! What a guy! I mean, the the stories that you hear about um, Jack and his time in charge of Ireland are incredible, and the amount of players that became Irish under Jack Charlton's reign as well. Um, a lot of Ireland's kind of biggest stars became Irish um, over the overnight as soon as they tasted the pint of Guinness. Um, but when you look back on it, if you look at Jack's time in charge of Ireland, what would be the key moment? What's the, the minute that you kind of look back to and say, that defines Jack's time in, as, in charge of Ireland? There's two for me to be to be drawn one all with England, you know, and, and just again, like the, you have to bring in sort of like the political context at the time and that, that game, like in, in Euro 88, my dad was at it. And to, to, you know, to go up against England when no one gave us hope at all and to get a one-all draw. But I think what's, what overshadows that later, that kind of, you know, that's the big marker. He's only there two years. He's qualified. He goes and does that. But Ray Houghton in the joint stadium, 94 against Italy. Like, what, what a goal. And to, to, to be on, a, you know, like to, to get to a World Cup for, for, for the second time in a row with a country who's never been there and to go up against Italy... And, you know, and that result and Ray Houghton's goal, that to me, will, will it ever be better as an Irish fan than, than right then? You know, probably not. <laughs> and it's, it's something, as a Scotsman, I'm actually very jealous of because 
for my whole life, I've only really remembered one game where Scotland's been at a major tournament, and that's France '98. And at that, I was still, I was, I was in primary school back then. I was four years old when that happened. Um, so my memories of that tournament aren't the best. And hopefully next summer or this summer coming up, we'll see Scotland at a major tournament for the first time in twenty three years, which will be incredible. Um, and if there's a chat Chowton moment in there. Um, under Steve Clark, that would be incredible. But to, to have that experience as an Irishman, that must be incredible. And it's, it's something that will get talked about for years and years and years to come. I mean, since then, Ireland have qualified for major tournaments. Um, you, you've seen it in 2002 with Robbie Keane. Um, yeah. But nothing will top that period under, uh, under Jack Willett. No, absolutely not. And it's funny because I think there's some people, and this is what what pundits do and what football fans do. When you look at the, this t- this squad we had back then, like it was, it you know, almost everyone's playing at a top club. Um, and you look at it on paper, and a lot of people say, you know, should he have played a different style of football? Could we have went further? Could, you know, um, and all those those points are valid and are worth chatting about. But I think from Jack's point of view, you look at you just look at where Ireland had been. We'd never qualified for a tournament, and what he managed to do. And I think that when you compare those two things, where we were coming from and where he got us to, his his record is is amazing. It really is. And I think lots of the elements I mentioned outside of football, I just think as a country, you know, it it, it just it it sticks with everybody. It was just it was like this turning point in where Ireland had come from, where most people leaving the country, the people beginning to say, and the country becoming, uh, you know, just a bit of a different Ireland. And when you think back, you know, those Charlton kind of nineteen ninety and ninety four World Cups kind of mark that as the transition. And um yeah, I don't I don't think look I hope I hope you get I hope you get that result and you get into that tournament and because uh, now they live forever and even the, the music around it like I remember like I have a record sitting over there. It was all these songs released, you know your kind of your tournament songs, but we had like yep. twenty songs for each tournament and to be played on the radio all day, every day. One comes on today and you remember all the words. I was eight years old. And I remember every word of it. So it, it just became it just took over. It just—it was like real life disappeared, and and football ran the country during during those times. Uh, I think the one that I could probably remember most was the the version of "You'll Never Beat the Irish" that was released by the Wolf Tones, yeah. um, and translating that into the players that were playing back then, and it just shows you the kind of uh, the caliber of players that were playing for Ireland back in that day. So we take a look at it. So we've got Jack Chowton, Robin Friday, Liam Whelan, and Diego Maradona. Um, I think that will be a, a party that lasts all night. Um, <laughs> they'll be probably having to throw a couple of people out come the early morning. Um, and if you are watching, leave us who you would have at your uh, football dinner party. Joe Porter's just done that, saying that Maradona was one of those rare people that transcends his gender. He's an icon out with football as well as on the football, a rare breed. And I think you have a couple of them with uh, Robin Friday, with Diego Maradona, and even I think with Jack Charlton as well, because... When he was the manager of Ireland, he was more than just the football manager. He was a sort of icon of the Irish spirit, wasn't he? Totally, totally. That he, and the way he did it, and I just think that, the, like I said earlier, the grace and just the, the presence about him, he had this kind of class about him. You know, he didn't, never, he never descended into pettiness. He had this, just the, he had this sense of just, just respect and integrity. And he never lost that. You know, I think that, I think you'd, you'd be hard pressed to find someone in Ireland who doesn't ultimately uh, totally respect Jack, and they might have agreed that, as I said, you know, it was this kind of hoof ball that was um, leveled against him, and the kind of the long ball game, which he definitely played, and people might disagree with that, but but there'd be nobody who who wouldn't who and who didn't have respect for him, and he kept that through his through his whole uh, 
you know, through the whole time he was manager and after that. And I think that's that's rare and it's something that uh, that's just a really nice thing. And staying on the Irish theme, we are going to discuss more about your role at Bohemians. Um, also discuss your management of the upcoming band Kneecap. I have actually checked out some of their stuff a long time ago and it's it's certainly for some people. It might not be for others that's watching, but I think it's fantastic and they are doing incredible things, selling out arenas all over Ireland and I think the plan is to for them to tour the UK shortly as well or once this is all over. Yeah, there was a tour booked for February because uh, we'd been, we did a UK tour last February, sold out G2 and Glasgow. Glasgow crowd was mental. That was, that was, and then um, we went down Liverpool, Birmingham, um, London. So that's, that's moved to September. So we'll be doing the, doing the G2 big room in, uh, in Glasgow in September. And uh, yeah, I think the ticket, the tickets were flat. It's the, the room sold out instantly in Glasgow and we, we up, up the size of the room, so uh, anyone can get can get to that. Uh, yeah, it was it was pretty mad the last time. So uh, we'll start discussing um, about that, but let's start with Bohemians. Now, you're the, the chief operating officer, and if we take a look back at Bohemians last season, finished second in the League of Ireland, a sort of condensed League of Ireland due to what's going on at the minute. But you have qualified for the Conference League. You, you're one of the first teams to have qualified for that because of the way the Irish season runs. Um, the season's not meant to start again till March 19th. It's a kind of awkward position you find yourselves in just because of uh, the way that the Irish season set out. But the, the questions first came in here from Damien Gallagher, who asks, do you find it difficult competing with the GEA in terms of getting talent, crowd support, and if so, how do you combat that? Now, for anyone that's maybe not so clued up on GEA, how, and you're asking... Is it difficult to get talent between GEA and with what the Irish call association football? Um, you find that a lot of players actually, right up until the age of 17, 18, play both. Yeah, no, totally. And, and there's a lot of research on this to say that multi-sport approach at a young age uh, is a better approach. You develop different skill sets and, you know, it's something that, that there's always debate on. But the GEA, like, the G- like I grew up playing GEA. I, play, I played for the local club here and, and that I was a member there. And, I, you know, I played, I played football as well. So uh, I think, you know, historically there was this kind of the GAA, if you go back and you speak to older people, people in their 50s and 60s, it was kind of against the policy to play both. And you might, at school, you might have been told you can't play, you can't play football, you've got to play GAA. But they, like the stadium directly behind me here, about a mile back, very close to our football stadium is, is Crow Park, which would be the headquarters of the GAA. And that stadium holds 90,000 people. Um, and, you know, COVID aside, they'll fill that, that stadium uh, for what is an amateur game. So there's no denying that the DAA has it gets bigger bigger attendances than, than football in Ireland, and quite significantly, you know, uh, it's like ninety thousand. You, you'll never get that at a football game in Ireland. So I think you got to be aware of the DAA are there. I don't see us needing to be in direct competition with them. I think I think we can both, uh, you know, occupy a good place. But um, they are they are a major sport. There's something that obviously it's it's only played in Ireland really. So it's not something you face uh, other countries face and rugby has become has become bigger. So it's just about, I suppose, as football clubs, uh, being aware that the other sports are there, encouraging kids to play, to play other sports and, and then to specialise. And like we've we've just signed a guy there, uh, Feely's just joined us and, and his brother played GA as well. And like our goalkeeper, James Talbot, who's been called up to the international team, James played played GA growing up, Shane Supple, who uh, you know is our academy goalkeeping coach. He was goalkeeper at Ipswich under Roy Keane. Chain play GAA, so there's a lot of players will, will play both. So I don't think they need to directly compete, but it, it is a challenge. It is a challenge in terms of media space. You know, like you pick up a, 
you you know get into the summertime or into into kind of early autumn when the GA season's at its height and League of Ireland's at its height and uh, the GA gets a lot of media coverage. So you're competing in that sense. But I think that's just the reality of being in Ireland. And I'd like to, I think there's a lot that, that we can learn from the GA and that they can learn from us in terms of how they run the organization and how we do things as clubs. So, uh, yeah, it's just something that, that's different, I suppose, to the country. But the GA will always be a big presence in Ireland and it's up to us to, to compete with them. But again, I think it can be done. It can be done collaboratively, you know. I don't, I don't see us needing to try and take players from each other. Mm-hmm. Just on the other point then, so about crowd support. So if there's a GEA game and Bohemians are playing at home at the same time, does that directly impact the crowds that you would get at the ground? It doesn't for us, thankfully. We're our stadium at the moment we're we're about we're gonna have a full redevelopment of our stadium. So our ground at the moment holds three and a half thousand. And thankfully for the last two seasons before COVID, we were selling out every game, more or less. There wouldn't really be any tickets for our games. So um just our membership and our season tickets had grown a lot. And we get we get quite a lot of uh, we got quite a lot of tourists actually as well, people coming from Germany in particular. So um, tickets weren't really available for, for ours. Um, so there wasn't that, that kind of balance. And in GAA, funnily, the Dublin team, it's done on a county basis, has been exceptionally successful. They've, they've won six All-Irelands in a row. Um, and that started to hit the GAA crowd. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Because there's this sense of, you know, it's become a bit boring, really. The Dublin team just absolutely win every game. And, and that's begun to detract from from their crowds, which has actually probably been a help for 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 us and other clubs in Dublin. So I mean, uh, yeah, uh, the success of Dublin over the last few years uh, is something I've managed to keep track of. It always seems when you get to the All Island, Dublin make an appearance there, and um, the city of Dublin as well. As you say, it attracts a lot of tourists. But you mentioned the German tourist. Is there a connection with any of the specific German clubs, or is it just German football in general that comes over? Uh, we've we have like. Union Berlin, I chat to a guy at Union Berlin, Ross, Ross over there. He's, he's a guy, an English guy who's, he does some of their marketing. So I chat to him. There's no direct thing. We're hoping to be friendly, hopefully with Union Berlin. I've been chatting to him in the background and that you know, might be something we try to set up. And, uh, and we, we did look as a club and we do look a bit towards St. Pauli for some of their, I like some of what they do off the pitch, some of their ideas and um, just how they, you know, some of the values that they'd have as a club. But now we've just found Copa. Copa did a big piece on us in 2015, I think. Um, and it was on the Bowes Rovers Derby, the big, the big Dublin Derby, and they did a great piece, and it got a lot of views on Copa, and they've included it in one of their like world's best derbies. And it was really after that we started to find that we were starting to get a lot of Germans coming to games, and they all they all seem to love it, and then they seem to be telling their friends back home, and it's been more and more Germans each year. You notice them in, in the ground. There's always a group of Germans there, and uh, <laughs> they drink lots of beer and they buy jerseys, and they're they're, they're a bit of fun. Germans, big group of Germans, so. Uh, it's just sort of happened naturally. And Cormac Ryan comes in here. It's it's also it's often said that politics is no place in sport, but Bohemians have turned that on its head with the gay Bohemians, the refugees welcome, the climate justice. And it is something that you just referenced there. It has a bit of a connection with the values of St. Pauli Football Club as well. Um, and a lot of people would say that Bohemians are almost like a St. Pauli of Ireland. Is that something you would agree with? Uh, I don't think it's not that we've tried to. I can see where people would get that from. 
for sure, like there is things that you can point towards that are similar. But what the points that that guy Cormac has made there, like we'd see all of those as being football clubs ultimately. Like when you think of what people would have got involved in, say people would have historically in Ireland gone to church. No, nobody goes to, to, you know, everybody will still say they're Catholic on a form, but nobody goes to church. It just doesn't, doesn't happen. Uh, you know, and you look at people say in unions, you know, everyone used to be in a union and uh, less and less people are in unions. And I think there's this thing where the, those things in life that you maybe spent a lot of time in, you could have went to church for your whole life or been in your union for your whole life. Those things are disappearing. People work for a mm-hmm. company for a couple of years. They move house they can, or they can't afford a house in Dublin and you rent a lot. So you're kind of transient. A lot of what you're doing isn't, it, you don't have a sense of place, but the football club still remains. And, and like people can, like I, I was brought to Bowes as a, as, a, as a baby by my dad and I'll go there until I die. And so will most other fans of the club. And I think that, you know, when you take that, that this is something you'll do for your whole life, that the club has has an ability and all clubs do to stand for things that we wouldn't see those things as political. They'd just be be social things, things that are important mm-hmm. for me, just from a basic, just being a good person point of view. So to have an LGBT supporters group, which we do and welcome them, you know, to say to people like more Irish people left this country per capita than any other country in the world. We are the immigrants of the world. That's what we were for hundreds of years. So who's to say that we shouldn't invite somebody who's come here? And something like climate again, is climate political or is it just kind of something that we all have to kind of begin to bear, you know, take it, take on board. So um, there are things that, yeah, we get involved in. We do a ho- like lots of other things I mentioned at the start with people in prison, uh, people who are homeless, people who have um, physical disabilities. And I just think that clubs can do all of those things and they don't, they don't detract from the football side, you know, like Keith Long as manager of their first team, mm-hmm. you know, these things, well, he might agree with them and he might think they're important. They're not going to impact upon him trying to qualify for Europe, trying to win the league, trying to win a cup. Um, but as a club, they help us as a club connect to more people and uh, and to do things that we, we think are important in, in Dublin and, and a bit further out. So I think they're things that every club should be doing, really. Yeah, it's hard to disagree with any of that. Um, it, you try and make football a sport for everyone, and I think that's certainly something that you can see um, from the Bose sort of ethos and the, the values of the club. Question coming in here from Joe Porter, and it's probably a bit of a cheeky one. Does Conor McGregor get involved in Irish football in any way? <laughs> no, no. The answer to that is a, is a firm no. No, I'm not. I'm not an MMA fan, but I think just from looking from the outside in, McGregor has has gone from from an unknown to the biggest name in Irish sport to somebody that maybe I don't think he he holds much weight with sports fans. Again, a lot of controversy around him, and you know. So, I, I, to me, it's been. I'm not an MMA fan. I don't watch. I've never watched one, but. I, just from the outside in, yeah, he doesn't get involved in football, and it seems to be uh, his career is, you know, it seems to have risen rapidly and and fallen as fast. It was just interesting there. That, uh, Cormac Ryan, his logo was uh, up the dubs, which is the the Dublin GEA team, and we've got Kmic Sweet Forty Four coming in saying Dublin winning six in a row is bad for the GEA. So, which side of the fence do you stand on there? <laughs> I think anyone. Would- <laughs> I think anyone winning too much gets bad for the game. To be honest, I think I think there's a lot of uh, you know there's a lot a lot of the beauty of sport is is this idea that the underdog can can uh, can win or you know you get this what what will happen who will win. We've had League of Ireland I think has had more winners over the uh, the course of the league's history over the hundred years than I think any other league in Europe. Now that's that's a good and bad thing. There's a lot of clubs have come and gone from bankruptcy basically, um, but uh, yeah, I think I think any club when they begin to dominate, it does it does detract from from the game a bit, you know, it's good for the supporters of that club, but for everyone else, it can get a bit. We've got uh, Cormac Ryan coming back in saying behave, so I will, I will behave and I'll get back to discussing 
uh, Bohemians this season. So obviously this season isn't meant to start until the 19th of March. Um, that's been put back since January. Do you still think it will go ahead then? When When's the plans to start pre-season? We're back. We're back since Monday. So uh, okay, two days ago, and um, yeah, I think it will. I think it's been it's been hard for clubs because but last year, obviously, you know, we every club had sold their season tickets, had their sponsors on board. They we all set out in February, not knowing what was around the corner, and when it hit, it was hard. But you know, things like the season ticket sales and and the you know your your sponsors and things were were already in. Uh, it's harder for a lot of clubs this year because they're going into a season where they probably won't have fans. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of people's sponsors, like say pubs, restaurants, you know, they're all closed. So it's trickier. So there's going to have to be support from the Irish government, which I think there will be. Um, and I'd be, yeah, I'd be confident on the March 19th. But uh, I think this season for clubs is going to be a lot harder than last year. Thankfully, we've had a lot of new members, and I think hopefully all the other clubs have too. A lot of new season tickets and members, people have come on who want to support the club, and and that's great loyalty. I think you've seen that across across the UK as well. You've seen it in Europe. I think football fans have. You know, they know how important their club is to them and uh, you know, you need now is the time more than ever to buy a season ticket or a or a membership for for a local club. So I'm confident we'll get back. I just I think it's gonna be a hard year and uh the sooner we can get people back. I've never enjoyed watching football on T V ever. It's I think being at the game, meeting your mates, going to the pub, you know, the, the just meeting other people and being around the game is where is what you wanna do. So it's been a, a strange season and the quicker we get past this the better. So obviously the season's meant to start in March. That will run on till sort of is it November time? Is that right? End, end of November, yeah. So it it normally run from kind of February to the to the end of October. So it's just kind of shifted back a month, and that was just there was a lot of cases here, and it, you know the last six weeks they were particularly high, so they were just pushed it out a little bit. Cases are coming down, and uh, and get back just after Paddy's Day, and um, so, yeah, yeah. So when you look at it, obviously you're saying you, the season tickets are on sale. Do you think there'll be a point? this season where you'll get fans back into the ground do you think it'll be a gradual thing um, and could you see a full house before the end of the season no no I can't see a full house for before the end of the season I think there will, might be some I'd be getting a lot of guidance on that from the kneecap stuff speaking to music promoters because you know music promoters are operating internationally and they have a good kind of picture mm-hmm. on what I expect I don't think we'll see full crowds um, I'm hoping that in an outside environment that you might get the one or two meter distance and you know Maybe maybe around May June it'd be amazing for for the European like qualifying for Europe for us last year we hadn't qualified for Europe in ten years and for no fans to be able to go to the game that was a that was a killer for people it was a yeah. you know people who'd waited for a decade to get back into Europe so I'm hoping that by the time we're we're in that Europa Conference that we could even have some kind of a crowd and then it gets to that tricky thing if you if you're only allowed a couple of hundred we're gonna have to do some kind of alphabetical system and you know, look after people on a rotating basis. It's it, it's tricky. No one ever expected to be here. And you can't, we're going to try and do what we can, have a fair system in place and get as many people in. But I, I think full crowds are going to be in, in 2022, personally. Yeah. So, I mean, we've got some questions coming in from uh, fans who are asking Damien Gallagher here. I've never been to a match in Dublin. Why should I go watch your team rather than the opposition? This is your chance to sell uh, the Bows. You've got a couple of minutes. Go. Well, there's one re- there's one clear reason. There's three bars inside our stadium. We're the only club in Dublin with a bar in the, in the stadium. Now, that is it. If you're coming to Dublin, Damien, and you want to have a pint and watch the game, there's one option. <laughs> but uh, now, nah, look, I've always, like, uh, like we're, we're, mem- we're a members-owned club. We're 100% members-owned. And we've always been fan-owned. 
you know, and I think that when you go to a fan-owned club, this sense of, of, of togetherness, and there's a great sense of that at Bowes. We've been slowly improving over the last few years on the pitch and off the pitch. And, uh, like, you know, I think that, that that sense of the people in the stand own, own the club, it can be can be really powerful in the sense that they feel connected to it properly and the atmosphere uh, and being able to have the few points. And, and look, we've great young players. That's the thing on the football side of things. Keith Long and Trevor Crawley, like you mentioned, some of them, like, say, Warren O'Hara, uh, who's just moved to MK Dons. He was with Brighton. He's another young player who's come through with a lot of really, really good, young, exciting players. You know, and uh, there's, there's just excellent talent on the pitch, great atmosphere off it, points in the stadium, and a lot of the values that people mentioned earlier. I think, uh, you know, there's also, there's, there's big, good pyro displays and things which aren't allowed by the association, but do add to the atmosphere. <laughs> stuff that we'll, we'll move on from. Um you mentioned there's bars in the stadium. Now, I've been to Dublin a couple of times. I think the city is fantastic. But the one thing I do notice when I go to Dublin and I come home, my wallet is a lot lighter. So is it expensive for drinking inside the stadium or is this one that we can say, come here and get a, a nice cheap pint? Yeah, no, it's cheap pints. That's the thing. Yeah, we, we run the bars ourselves. So it's not, it's not, it's not subcontracted out. So the, the point of Guinness is four euro. Like you'll pay, you'll pay six euro in the city centre. So it's still not cheap compared to Glasgow. Uh, but it's uh, it's a lot cheaper than the pubs outside. So yeah, che- cheap point in the stadium, and uh, sometimes we you can sometimes we fairly late ones as well. So you might find you're there later than you planned. I remember being in Temple Bar about two three years ago uh, with my girlfriend, and it was her first time in Dublin. And I remember um, I gave her twenty euros, and I said to her, "Go and get two drinks at the bar." And she says, "I'll not need that. I'll get you a change." And I was like, "You're all right." So I went to the toilet, came back, and she handed me back ten cents and went. What happened? But it's just that's the thing when you go to Dublin, it's just part of the experience. Um, and I've been several times, and I think the city is absolutely fantastic. Um, so, just a question here from Barca Boy Would you like to see the shells go back up? We're talking about Shelburne Rovers here. No, that, that's a uh, yeah, Shelburne. So, Shelburne will be the other kind of North Dublin club. They'd be in, um, they'd be in Drumcondra again. They're very close to us, about a mile away. I would, I think, I think having shells, uh, shells were. were where um, they had they had financial problems similar to to what what we had at Bowes about ten years ago, and uh, they they've been in the first division for quite a while, and they came up and um, they you know they had some great signings, and for, for whatever reason it didn't work out, and they went down. There was a, results went against them at the end of the season. There was a strange series of games, the last three series of games, but uh, no, I think it's good. It's good to have strong Dublin clubs. Uh, it's a great away trip as a fan. Um, you know, I enjoy going. I enjoy going down there, and I think uh, I think they will come back up. To be fair to them, and um, they're due with the our new stadium that's due for redevelopment. It's it's a ground share situation, so the two of us will be in that stadium. And um, so, yeah, personally, as a as a fan of the league and someone going to games, I think they add they add a lot to the league. Uh, and K McSweet forty four coming in saying go support Sligo Rovers. Um, uh, we'll put that one back away there. Um, but looking ahead for this season, obviously you just mentioned you qualified for the Europa Conference League. One of the first teams to do so is a completely new competition. You're looking to build the squad for this season. What's the goals for for Bohemians this season? What what is the target that's been set? Yeah, the, like the target on and off the pitch is always to keep improving, and and that's going to be hard, I suppose, on the pitch because we, like we finished in second place and and. Uh, I think that we all would have taken second place before the season started, for sure. You know, we finished ahead of Dundalk, and Dundalk have have dominated Irish football for for the last five or six years. They've they've done well in Europe. They you know they did well in Europe this year. Getting to where they got in Europe is a huge achievement. Uh, you yeah. know, in terms of Irish football to to be in a group stage to play against Arsenal, they didn't get get the results, but just to get there is a massive achievement. So I think for us to finish in second 
Um, I think it'd be great to, to get to a cup final. You know, to win a cup would be amazing. Uh, we've, you know, we've gotten uh, got to the semi final the last two years in a row in the cup. Um, but it will be hard to improve on second place. There's no denying that the, the clubs that we're up against, uh, they have greater financial resources. You know, I've, I've said that, and we know that, and the fan base know that. So it's it's, and we do have a young team. Um, so it's it's trying to improve upon the league position would be very difficult. I think we can we can hopefully get to a cup final, win a cup, and and in Europe we were really unlucky last year. We we drew a team called Ferrovar. Um, in Hungary, they used to be called, I think it's um, Videotron or Videoon. They're quite a well-known yep, yep. club. Now, you know, we went over there. They were 250 places ahead of us in the European rankings. They were the, they were the toughest draw we could have got. And, uh, you know, their stadium, really impressive stadium. They they big budgets. And I think they would have saw us as maybe somebody, you know, that they could have, and they, they maybe perhaps could have, would be easily. But we, we played amazingly well over there there was no no crowd uh you know I was, I was able to go over just with the officials and the team but uh we took them to extra time and we took it to penalties and uh and we probably we you know on penalties we were we were ahead and then it just we, we missed a couple of penalties so to improve on that i think i think keith and trevor really good shape to our team really well organized and said a lot of talented young players i think we can definitely go through a round or two in europe uh if we get it we got a good draw and uh I think that that'd be an aim too for for this year. And off the pitch, it's a uh, yeah, it's just to keep keep growing the club and keep we've, we're developing our women's side. And um, you know we, we've we've more girls playing than ever and developing those different areas of the club outside of what people see as, as the big uh, the big games on TV and the men's team grow all areas of the club. And for those that are going to be obviously now looking and watching after Bohemian results after watching this today, who's the kind of players that we should be looking out for this season? Who's the ones that you think will really make a name for themselves? Uh, we brought in a guy, we think he's, he's with Sheffield. Uh, he was on loan to Derry City last year, Stephen Mallon. Looks like an excellent young player. The guy coming in, in midfield, Ali Coote, who I think was with Dundee three at the time. Um, yep. James Talbot, our goalkeeper, James is still very young. Um, you know, James was with Sunderland for five years, came back, uh, he was drafted into the Irish the national squad. He, excellent goalkeeper. And then we have a young guy <clears throat> placed in the kind of 10 position, Dawson Devoy. Um, Dawson is he's just turned 19 got a lot of first team games last year really really skillful player just always seems to have space you know gets the ball and he just makes space he can be in a hole and suddenly he's out of a great shot and uh, you know really young player still developing so uh, all over the park really with a lot of excellent young players and we've just we've made a big sign about two weeks ago a guy called Bastian Heary who um, would have played with, with Limerick he's with PSG as a, as a kid he was with Linfield in, in Belfast last year and um, we've just signed him. Now he, he's a more experienced player. I think Bastion's twenty-eight, but he brings a lot of presence and a lot of kind of you know a lot, big big player into the middle of the park. So I think uh, look at the games are all streamed. So uh, that'll be announced in the next couple of weeks. It, it's not expensive. Somebody could pick up a stream for the for the league for a season for you know eighty ninety euros. Watch all the games. And that's something we're going to go on and discuss in a second. Is the um, the element of the TV deal. But just before we go on to that, I've got a question in from Highland Paddy, who says, will you miss going down to Cork City next season? Def- definitely, definitely. Yeah, and, and look, again, personally, like Cork, Cork are, are going through a really tough time. Cork, we're, we're a fan-owned club and, and they're now in negotiations to sell the club. I'd love to see them stay as a fan-owned club. I think the Cork, you know, they had the, a, a massive fall in the last two seasons. Like Cork were where, you know, cup finals, winning cups, you know, top two in the league and, and have now just, it's just collapsed uh, on the pitch for them. 
and to an extent off the pitch. And it's definitely not good to see for any league fan. Cork, Cork are one of the big clubs in, in Ireland. You know, they get they get the biggest attendances. You know, over the last few years. Um, and to see them uh, go down, really surprised by it. And the quicker they're back up, you need strong, you need big, strong clubs. And Cork, Cork should be one of the top clubs in the country. Really, really surprised to see that happen to them. And uh, I've no doubt they'll be back up. I, I just hope, personally, they don't lose their members' owned um, model because I think that that can deliver a lot. It has its challenges. But uh, either either way, whether they change owner and they go they go privately owned, um, I think getting them back up in the league with big crowds is uh, it's good for every other club. And it's something that we'll look to when we're checking out the results over in Ireland this season to see if Cork will make it back up. But just touching on something that you spoke about a minute ago, and it's the next topic and probably the final topic we'll have today, um, and it's about the TV deals. Now, over here in the UK at the minute, the English Premier League is being streamed on Sky Sports, BT Sport, Amazon Prime, and now there's games on the BBC. But it was FA Cup weekend here in England, and at the weekend there... 9.2 9.2 million people watched Liverpool play Manchester United, which is an outstanding figure. It's twice the figure of the highest Premier League game, uh, which is just over 4.5 or 5 million um, for Manchester City, which was also on the BBC. It does ask the question, is there a place for football on free-to-air television? And obviously you guys have got the experience of that with the games being shown on RTE. Um, you've also moved on to a streaming service. What have you found has been the the kind of key to growing the game in Ireland through the television deal? Are you still looking for games to be shown on free to air television, or do you think streaming is the way forward? Um, it's a it's a tricky one. Like I'd always say, live, live football. What's funny? I put live football above 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 all else, and you know, unfortunately, in Ireland, far more people follow Man United or Liverpool than follow Bohemians or Cork City or Sligo Rovers. You know, that's that's the space we operate in, and. And that and that's just, just down to mass market. And like I remember chatting to a guy, and not to go off topic with it, but chatting to a fella who used to be a truck driver in, in, in England. And he told me that he's, he's old enough now, he'd be near retirement. And he told me he used to know where he was in England. He'd park up the truck and have, have a sleep or whatever. And kids would be out playing football, which you don't see as much of anymore. But he'd know by the jerseys. He'd know whether he was in Wolverhampton or Middlesbrough or Doncaster or wherever. And now he said, you drive by and you got five or six football shirts that a kid is where, you know, it's all the Man United, Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea's. So I think the game, personally, I think the game has been destroyed by mass marketing and big TV. Um, and when you look in Ireland, I think I think terrestrial television, if you're going to put a game on television, it should always be on terrestrial television. I think you, you need to look at, and there's this balance being struck. In Ireland, you know, we've lower finances into the league and we do need to improve the finances into the league and the clubs. But look at the Premier League. Where is all that extra money going? Does it benefit the fans in any way or is it just benefiting players who are on wages that nobody can justify and owners that, that bring in amounts of money that are just obscene? So I'd look at the game. Who, who is the game there to serve? The game's there to serve the fans um, and it's there to serve the public, the you know, the, the wider audience, the people who identify with Liverpool or, or an Arsenal or a Celtic and this is part of their identity as a person from that city. And I think that once you get into the massive amounts of money that you see with Sky and you, you then turn it into this global thing. It's bad for probably for those fans of those clubs themselves. Although it's probably hard to 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 recognise that. Uh, it's bad for the game. It's bad for all the other clubs under it. The other clubs who never get coverage. So I think it's, it's look. It's fan, it's fantasy to think that suddenly you're going to have Premier League games shown on BBC. But I think there's a space for maybe a league or two below that to just get people back involved in local clubs. Um, 
Because, I, yeah, I, I don't think – I think the, the emergence of big TV money for me has been absolutely detrimental to the game of football. Um, it benefits so few people and for everybody else makes it inaccessible, more expensive. And I just always ask that question, where is all that extra money going? Is it benefiting the man who's – him and his father have followed a club for 100 years or his grandfather is great? It's not benefiting them, that's for sure. So uh, – you know that that'd be my take on it. It's a bit of a maybe a socialist take on the whole thing, but that's no. I mean, it's it's a really interesting point because when you look at it, obviously, um, the game has been shown on free to air television. You look at perhaps the English Premier League's contract with the BBC. Uh, they've got match of the day, a staple of Saturday night entertainment, um, and the odd game here and there now because of every game being shown uh, on television. And it tends to be the games that don't aren't as attractive to Sky or BT. It may be a, a film versus Sheffield United. But for you guys, RTE is the, the the platform for the games to be shown. Now, obviously, you just mentioned the, the streaming service that is going to cover the whole league. And I think that's a fantastic idea. I think if you do have a, a streaming service, that has to be league-based so that you can go in and I can watch Bohemians one week, I can watch Shamrock the next week, I can watch Dundalk the following week, and it's all part of the one package. I, I think that's a great idea. But do you think that the the kind of cost of only being on terrestrial television as opposed to the money coming in stops the growth of the club? Would it not be great for additional money to come in from Sky that you could then reinvest in the youth system, that you could then reinvest in the stadium, that you could then reinvest in trying to push towards Europe? Would that make the league better if, for example, Sky Sports then started covering the League of Ireland? Or are you guys happy with the way it is with RTE at the minute? No, I think there's a balance. I think, you see, because we're coming from such a different base, I suppose, like like we're coming at a, at a position where, you know, across the league, like, you know, it, it, to get an attendance of three or 4,000, like we'd get in some of the Dublin clubs, is a really great attendance to be clubs who get attendances more towards 1,000. So we're at that space where all clubs need to grow quite a bit. To get to a level like we are, we are in European terms a pretty poor league. You know that, that that's on our rankings. That that's a fact. You know I love the league. I love all the clubs. I want to see it grow. So I think there's there's a balance to be struck um, between you know where you bring in money commercially and where you grow the game and make it accessible to people to engage with. And I think it's finding that balance and and that's a difficult thing to do. Um, but there does need to be and and for us we're at, we're at a different kind of proposition in Irish football in that unfortunately and the figures will show it there isn't a great public appetite for people to tune in and watch League of Ireland games on TV. Most League of Ireland fans go to the stadiums because the, the, the football fan that has the tendency, you know, pre-COVID to watch football on TV is far more likely to get their Sky Sports package and follow a Liverpool or a Man United. And that's, that's a huge challenge, a huge challenge for us because we're not, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to have the calibre of player that Liverpool or United have. That's never going to happen. Um, so that's why you look at growing the clubs in terms of the different areas. But I do think it, it's a really tricky one and it's getting it right and making sure that that big TV money doesn't begin to run the game. And to me, that's kind of what's happened in the Premier League. They are the most important uh, element of the Premier League now. They're far more important than the fans. Uh, and, mm. you, know, not, you know, not in reality. In reality, the fans are everything. But financially, they've become more important. And I think once that balance tips, then decisions maybe get made by owners and the owners change a lot of clubs and they're, you know... It's a whole different discussion, but who are the owners? Should a football club be owned by, you know, somebody from 10,000 miles away or by, be listed on a stock exchange? Is that still a football club? Mm-hmm. I'd have questions around some of that. So I think it's a balance and um, getting it right where you're bringing in some revenues to improve the league, but ultimately not not making football something that you exclude people from. 
or that they have to pay a fee from or they have to go to a pub to watch. I think when you do that, and that's maybe what's happened to the Premier League, I think you've lost some of what the game was about. Um, and mm-hmm. and you, you can't refine that then. You can't just roll it back because you lose whole groups of pro- mostly working class yeah. people to the game. So the questions come in here from Lawrence Connolly. Lawrence is one of the contributors here at A State of Mind. He's saying, should the Irish government pass a levy on Sky Sports, etc., for all the foreign matches they broadcast and then pass that back to the Irish clubs? Now, as you said, there's probably more Manchester United or Liverpool fans or Arsenal fans or City fans in um, Ireland than what there is that will go and watch Bose or Shamrock or, or Shelbourne or anyone like that. Um, and they are broadcast in a foreign league. So is the I guess the idea here would be that for the fee that these companies pay to show their games in Ireland, that would then be passed on to help development in Irish football. I don't think that's a bad idea. That's a, that's a brilliant idea. And what, you know what's interesting about that idea is I think that's again, that'd be against uh, EU law, but seeing as you're not in the EU anymore, you can probably pass that law quite quickly. So uh, no, that's brilliant. There is another one. Look, I, I've actually never heard anyone say that. So to Lawrence, that's that's a great idea. And the other one that's becoming becoming obvious to people is that there's a levy in Ireland um, on on all bets placed. So with your you know your big betting companies, there's a levy of two percent that goes um, solely to horse racing. Horse racing, horse racing is a big industry in Ireland. You know, there's a lot of money in horse racing. But um, I've 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 had some conversations with people lately who work in the betting industry, and from what I've been told, you know, a large percentage of bets placed are, is on football. And football, 20 years ago, a lot of bets were on horse racing and dogs, but now it's more and more on football. So I think if that 2% became, you know, that that, that was split and 1% of that even came to football, it would make a huge difference. So I think we do need to look at elements like Lawrence has mentioned there, things that we bring in through the state that direct some money because there is, we do need facilities, like facilities in Ireland and, you know, we have a new stadium uh, in progress. It's taken its time, but it is in progress and there's been great work done by Dublin City Council and we need support of the government here. But across the league, facilities can be improved and uh, and they have been neglected. And the development of the underage setups that we spoke about earlier, they need development. And I think mm-hmm. something like Lawrence has mentioned there would enable that to happen quite quickly. And all it's doing is taking money that, that is being spent on the game and directing some of it to the game here. And that that's easy to understand for football fans and it makes sense. So, yeah, I like that one. I also think if you, you take the games away from RTE, you lose the fantastic punditry team that is there. Um, having seen some of the games through um, RTE before, the, the pundits over there, they're, they're a different level to what we've got over here in Scotland. Um, I, I'd take them over Chris Boyd any day, put it that way. Um, uh, we're looking up some of them on YouTube for people who haven't seen them, you know. Bill O'Hurley, he was the kind of the, the anchor. He passed away there recently. But it's, and he used to have Graham Sunis on a lot. And the arguments between... Dumphy and Sunis and Brady, they it was like listening to you know three outfielders in the pub sitting beside you. They would absolutely go for each other and uh, highly entertaining. <laughs> so one for everyone to look up um, after this is broadcast. But I mean, Daniel, we've been on now for just over an hour, and the questions have been coming in, and it's been fantastic to have someone um, with the experience of yourself being behind the scenes at a football club, giving us an insight to what it's like discussing more about what Bohemians are all about and hopefully from this uh, bringing some more attention to the club which I think would be absolutely fantastic just before we go though tell us about kneecap, tell us about the, the plans for the next 12 months, where are these, boy, these boys going? 
Yeah, no, we feel, you know what? It's just, I feel, you know, for the, for the boys, just with COVID, I just I really feel for them because we were, what, what happened where I was when COVID hit, I was in America with them and we, 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 uh, they played support to the Dropkick Murphys in the Alexandra Palace in London. I'd never been there. What a venue. The place was packed. And then we flew, flew back to Dublin to play a gig with the, with the Fontaines, Fontaines DC, played a gig with them in the Olympics. They had a night for to raise money for homelessness. It was great bands, um, great Irish bands that night. Just mustered uh, Mary Wallopers, brilliant bands. We're looking up and headlined by the Fontaines. We played at that, and then we flew to New York, played a sold out gig in New York. Like you know, three lads from the north rapping in Irish in a sold out gig in New York. Who were like amazing. And then we went up to Boston to play play three big gigs with the Dropkick Murphys in Boston, and then everything collapsed with COVID. And we were supposed to play at Zigit in Hungary couple of big festivals in the UK, some big festivals in Ireland. And uh, and all that to be taken away was, you know, I just for all the work the boys have put in, it's so hard to just to, to see all the all the all the bookings. And it happened slowly, you know, people were like, oh, we we're gonna cancel cancel that festival, gonna cancel that festival with a big gig in the Olympia here in Dublin, you know, nearly two thousand people sold out. And to have all them cancelled. Um, but no, plans for the, for this year, if they happen, we've moved all the UK dates to September and the, the booker's confident with those. Um, and that's going to be one of the first big things back to I'll coincide with a couple of big Irish gigs. The, the lads have, have an EP they've been working on. Probably going to release that in the next kind of six, eight weeks. Um, and we've got another couple of things that I can't say on the podcast, collaborations. And so there's a lot to come from them. And, uh, I, you know, they're super, super... Uh, they're just great people. They're really, really intelligent, and what they're doing, you know, taking the Irish language coming from Belfast um, with rap and hip hop, it's uh, it's brilliant. The gigs are, and I'm not not just saying this. Like I, I went to an ECAP gig before I managed an ECAP as a, as a as a just a fan, and uh, the energy is it's, it's it's something else. It's you know, it'd be very much like an old firm type energy. So uh, <laughs> I, I get. So you. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave you with one last question. Um, and I'll see what your answer is to this. So you've got the choice for 2021. Kneecap, number one album, or Bohemians win the League of Ireland. You can you only pick one. You can't do that. Too many loyalties there. I, if, I, if I said it, if I, if I went with, I'd be killed at Bose if I said kneecap, and, but I, I love the lads. <laughs> both of them things can happen, I tell you. I would, that would be the best year it has ever been for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been fantastic having you on the show today and hopefully we'll catch up with you later on in the season. We'll check in how Bohemians are doing. We'll see Kneecap's album going to number one and Bohemians winning the league because both of them are going to happen. Um, but it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, just as it's been a pleasure to have everybody um, in the comments section watching on Facebook, YouTube and Twitter. If you are watching along, share the podcast with your friends, spread the word. We're growing really well here and uh, we've got some fantastic guests lined up next week. Um, we've got Dave Claxon from the Business of Sport and in a couple of weeks' time we'll have some other big guests to come. But we're out of time. It's been fantastic having you on, Daniel. Um, I look forward to catching up with you very soon. We'll keep in touch. Uh, good luck for the season ahead and for everyone that's watching. Take care, stay safe and we will see you all next week.
It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 At Discount Tire, we know your time is valuable. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online. Did you know Discount Tire now sells wiper blades? Check out our current deals at DiscountTire.com or stop in and talk to an associate today. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.